Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. If I'm a bit hoarse, it's because I've been talking to lots of people at the book signings across the West. And more on that, because it all kind of ties into the show I'm bringing you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Declaration of Independence and the steel spines and clever minds and prescient knowledge of those who put it together. Our very first founding document. It's time that we remember its words and its purpose and what it meant at the time and what it still means today. I'm going to bring you a short update on the continuing morass and corruption and non-transparency in Hawaii, that insidious and mysterious occurrence over there in Lahaina. But I'm going to rely mostly on videos and audios that'll be on the website for you because Nothing can be told like a story in first person. And then I'm going to bring you some rat-a-tat-tat. But I'm going to forewarn you on this particular rat-a-tat-tat. It ties into the Declaration of Independence theme we have going today. And it's going to make you question just about everything that you haven't already questioned about government and the lies it's willing to tell you to achieve its ends, to promote corruption, to amass power and money, at your expense, not just your expense, your pocket, but at the expense of your health and your life and that of your family and your friends. But first, our founder's quote, Jefferson, and boy, does this tie into this show I'm bringing you today. Quote, when once a republic is corrupted, there is no possibility of remedying any of the growing evils, but by removing the corruption and restoring its lost principles, every other correction is either useless or a new evil, unquote. Think about that theme, folks, as I bring you today's show. And our rant story. Well, the rant story is really a story from the road, and it kind of ties into this show also, because, you know, I've told you in the past, I talked to thousands of people at these events that we do in the summer, slapping ink on books, talking to new readers and old readers, and I get a pretty good sense of what people are thinking and feeling in many different places, from Iowa, to Montana, to New Mexico, to Nevada, Colorado, Wyoming, you name it. And it gives you a pulse. Not the pulse that the mainstream media wants to feed you. Not the pulse that the government, (laughs) with its lying lips, tries to convince you of. But the real pulse, the man on the street, the boots on the ground pulse. And one of the things that I have noticed over the past several weeks is that there is a growing sense of desperate resignation, or maybe it's resigned desperation. I'm not really sure which. In many, many, many of the people I talk to, people know something is horribly wrong, horribly corrupt, horribly evil and sinister, and they feel powerless to stop it, frustrated, angry, apprehensive. And I'm reminded of that meme I told you about, oh, I don't know, three, four, five weeks ago, the picture of one man standing there I'm an American. I know it's wrong, but I'm just one man. What could I do? And there were a hundred million people thinking the same thing 
at the same time. Think about the power of numbers. Think about the power of shoulder to shoulder. Think about the power of the word no, N-O, particularly as I review with you today the startling revelations in the rat-a-tat-tat which is going to follow our Declaration of Independence exploration, or should I say re-exploration. A lot of kids don't know, and I want to refresh people's minds as to the three key documents that are the underpinnings of the American Representative Republic. You have the Declaration of Independence, signed July 4th, 1776, birth of the nation, the day we declared independence, not just from Britain, folks, but from our government. Britain was our government. Think about that as I go through this segment. Think about that as I talk about the matrix that they want you to live in if you don't step outside your box. It is the birth, really, of a civilization. It was certainly the birth of a society. And the men who signed that declaration, 56 of them, these people had, I mean, they were steel. They were made of steel. They were made of resolve. They believed in freedom. They believed that a tyrannical government has no rights to impose its will upon its people. And we're going to go over just very briefly. I've done it before on this show, but it's so important. It's so relevant in juxtaposition to, you know, a percentage of our population cowering in their basements right now that you just can't let it go. You can't let it go. And what happened to these men when they pledged, and I quote, for the support of this declaration, that is the Declaration of Independence, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know, those are words which truly will live in history. Yes, the men of steel and courage and conviction and ideals that separated us from our then government, the tyrannical government of King George of Britain. You know, quite the bunch here, quite the bunch. You talk about courage, you talk about fortitude. They were from all sorts of walks of lives. There were lawyers and merchants and physicians and plantation owners, surveyors, You know, they all had a common vision, though, and that was freedom and the right to throw off the yoke of tyrannical government. And that right, by the way, was later ensconced in the Constitution. In fact, in several ways, in the Constitution itself and in the Second Amendment and in the Declaration of Independence. And for doing this, for standing up for liberty, for standing up for what was to become America, these men paid the ultimate price. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 men fought and died from wounds and battle in the Revolutionary War. 24 were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. They were all men of means in some way, shape, or form. They were all well-educated. And they signed the Declaration of Independence, folks knowing full well that Britain would consider it treason and that the penalty would be death if they were ever captured. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy plantation owner and trader, all his ships were swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost consistently. He served in the Congress without pay. His family was kept in hiding. All his possessions were taken by the British. He died in poverty. British soldiers looted the properties of Dillery, Hall, 
Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton, and they died far less wealthy and in some cases destitute than at the time when they signed the Declaration of Independence. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr., he kind of saw that General Cornwallis, the British general, had taken over the Nelson home, his home, for his headquarters, the British headquarters, and he urged George Washington to open fire nonetheless. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The British jailed his wife, and she died in a British prison. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she lay dying. Their 13 children fled, scattered for their lives. His fields and his gristmill were completely torched and laid to waste by the British. For more than a year, this man lived in forests and caves. He returned home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. He never saw them again. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston, they suffered similar fates. Look, these men were giants. And if I sound emotional, I am. Because you know... You stack these men up against what you see today, and you only see a vestige of it because it's hidden from you, the Matrix. They were the beginnings of the American civilization. It's up to us to make sure that we're not witnessing the end of the American civilization. Now we have uh, American athletes who turn their back on the flag and the anthem. Outrageous. We have Americans marauding in the streets, burning and looting the homes and businesses of other Americans. We have spoiled, rotten, brat, brainwashed, or publicity-seeking stars that downgrade the country and the vast majority of the country. These people are the minority. We cannot let the minority prevail. It will be the end of the American civilization. I think it's fitting to read you a large portion of, if not all, the Declaration of Independence, to remind you of how these men thought, to stir your memory of how the American empire, the American civilization, the American manifest destiny, American exceptionalism began with 56 brave men. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume amongst the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But a long train of abuses and usurpations 
pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused to assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent shall be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable only to tyrants. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving its assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries, so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all causes whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of the people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, uh, scarcely 
unparalleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us, and he has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of the frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in our attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of their attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here write up the rest of the Declaration of Independence, the establishment of the United States of America, and the birth of the American civilization. rest of the Declaration of Independence, folks. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of sanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, and friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have the full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Signed by John Hancock, President. Excuse me, listeners. You know, I think of these men. I think of those words. I take their, their list of grievances against King George and think about the current government of the United States, the largest bureaucracy in the world by twice. And it makes my blood boil. I'm sure it does yours, too. And now for the rest of the story. Two of the signers, John Adam and Thomas Jefferson, were future presidents of the United States. They were bitter enemies for most of their lives. In fact, vicious competitors. Jefferson won his presidency employing the Electoral College kind of at the last minute. That's a whole nother historical story. Beating out Adams. And their interests and their thoughts as to whether America should be a federalist system, i.e. states' rights or a centralized system, were juxtaposed. But in the end, like good Americans, they became friends. They had more in common than not. And they wrote each other in the last years of their lives often. In fact, each of them penned a letter to the other the day before their respective deaths in the most ironic twists of history. And 
a startling convergence of energies in the universe. These two men, fathers of the country and American civilization, men of courage and conviction and resolute will, died on the same exact day, which happened to be July 4th, 1826. So now you know. Folks, it's up to us if this country survives. It's up to us if our freedoms live or perish. It is up to us if our children have better or degraded lives as compared to ours. It is up to us to see that this obvious downward spiral, by every indication, based on these historical stories I bring to you, of the American civilization is arrested and reversed. We're it. Tag, we're it. There's nobody behind us. Those in front of us are mostly powerless. It is us. Only us. And may I suggest that just like you make resolutions at New Year's, you and your family and your friends and your circle of friends, to do anything and everything you can to save this country from its current descent into hell. And you know... As of right now, there's a shot that we won't have to write another so-called Declaration of Independence. But you must act. You must go to your school board meetings. You must ensure the proper education of your children. You must ensure they are not brainwashed. That they are not spoon-fed the propaganda of the Marxist left. That they know real American history. Because the touchstone of the past is the guidepost of the future, as I say all the time. You need to get involved in your local politics. Start and build, rebuild this country from the bottom up. If your mayor is a Marxist Democrat or a spineless leader or a rhino, replace him or her with somebody with courage and conviction and conservative constitutional values. The same with your city council and your county commissioners and very importantly, your sheriff, kind of the highest low-level protector of your individual rights. Contribute to the candidates of your choice. Contribute to the congressional folks of your choice. We must take back the House. Everything that's being done now, all these little vacillations, all these cloaks, all these feints and jousts and jabs of Obama in his third term using cadaver as his front man, or Harris, Good Lord. <sighs> She's unbelievable. At least Joe has a physical affliction. Harris has no such excuse. Support your congressional candidates. Make sure that they are constitutional conservatives. Send them money. Work on their campaigns. Talk to your friends. Talk to your circle. Talk to others who are not in your circle. And your senators. Replace the rhinos. Defeat the Democratic Marxists. And finally, in 2024, those of you who listen to me who were beguiled, misled, who put personality over policy, who believed the lies of the Democratic Marxists, who put Biden up as their puppet to evoke, in Obama's words, the fundamental transformation of this country and civilization and its ultimate collapse. And trust me, they want nothing less than its ultimate collapse. Start thinking with your head. Let your heart give you courage. Stand up for what's right. Look past personalities. 
They matter not. Actions matter. Policies matter. Kept promises matter. A love of America and the Constitution and the individuality which makes this country unique is what matters. Even if you think it futile, write those letters to the school board. Attend those meetings. Go to your Republican or Independent or whatever caucus and local political organization you wish and make those changes. If you're not in control of your local political organization, you won't be in control of your local candidates. Resist the siren song of propaganda. I've brought you those stories. Understand and think outside the box. What is really happening here? What is the real reason for this, that, or the other, for this piece of information or this act or this lack of act? Why is it being presented to me in the way it is? What is the ultimate goal of the presenters? You must employ your brains and you must get active. Those letters to your congressmen and to your senators, it can be two lines. It doesn't have to be an epistle. Probably better if it's not. But every letter they receive or phone call they receive, in the case of senators, in their minds, in their political offices, they believe that your contact with them represents 15,000 people who think like you do. In a congressional office, they think that every contact they get represents 5,000 people. You know, the 4,999 or the 14,999 who couldn't be bothered to write or call, who live inside their boxes, who dwell inside their normalcy bias. These are not normal times. The fate of freedom, and I don't say this to be melodramatic, resides in America. That means it resides in its people. That means it resides in that portion of its population, the majority, fortunately, that still believe in individual liberty, in small government, that government exists for one purpose, and that is to protect your rights, not assault them. And when you are making a decision to not comply, to say no, to stand shoulder to shoulder with those 100, 150 million, maybe more Americans who think that they are alone, who wonder what they can do just being one person, keep in mind these basic truths. And this is throughout history, not just today in the United States or the so-called Western world. Questioners of authority are enemies of the state. Independent thought is an enemy of the state. Uncontrolled natural human thought and spirit is an enemy of the state. Nonconformity is an enemy of the state. Nature is an enemy of the state. Human nature is an enemy of the state. And today, there's a hack for everything, right? A technology that can fix everything, they tell us. And to the elites who lie repeatedly to us, who take our money for their own profit and gain, who sell us down the river for shekels, who abandon the principles espoused so eloquently by the founders at the risk of their life in the Declaration of Independence, people are simply things. And now I'm going to bring you the rat-a-tat-tat. And I want you to bear in mind as we go through today's rat-a-tat-tat, which is focused on COVID, the COVID jab, and just some amazing developments of, in all places, South Africa. Remember that even when it's a dark truth, folks, truth is light. We're going to start off rat-a-tat-tat by talking about Megan Kelly. You may like her, you may not. She's 52 years old, former Fox News host. And she recently disclosed, like in the last week or two, a tragic new vaccine injury diagnosis that she's received. And she admits regrets about taking the shots. By the way, Megan's older sister died about 11 months ago, give or take, 
after her heart suddenly, oh yeah, suddenly, that SADS syndrome, sudden death syndrome, after her heart suddenly and unexpectedly attacked her, you know, autoimmune response. But here's a quote from Megan, quote, I regret getting the vaccine because I don't think I would have needed it. And then for the first time, I tested positive for an autoimmune issue at my annual physical. And I went to the best rheumatologist in New York, and I asked her, do you think this could have to do with the fact that I got the damn booster and then got COVID within three weeks? And she said, yes, and that I wasn't the only one that she's seen with that effect. There's a former pro-jab, now anti-jab, comic by the name of Scott Adams. He said in January, after he, shall we say, awakened, that people who distrusted the government won. It's never wrong to distrust the government, quote, unquote. Which brings us to the next incredibly sordid dark truth. A few weeks ago, August 17th, after more than a year of pitched litigation, the South African Supreme Court forced the South African government to release its original 2021 jab contracts with Pfizer. So the public can now see the full scope of the malignant, mendacious, ugly, sinister government malfeasance and misfeasance in a fully disclosed, unredacted Pfizer, quote, manufacturing and supply agreement. And I will tell you, I would bet you anything that this agreement almost exactly mirrors the agreements in every other country in the world who signed one of them and mirrors the agreements right here in the United States. And by the way, the agreement is a link on the COVID page, the COVID litigation page, because boy, this is where it's going to go. And on the home page, upper right-hand corner, you can read the Pfizer South African government document yourself. And you know, if it wasn't the identical document that was signed by the United States and the big pharma hacks who were paying royalties and bribes to people in the CDC and NIH and who knows who else... Well, that's very easy. Just disclose the United States contract with Big Pharma. Oh, that's something they just don't want to do. I wonder why. The Republic of South Africa Pfizer contract is dated March 30th, 2021. That's unfortunately four months after the jab rollout started right here in the United States. By the way, Pfizer and the South African government and every other government on the planet where this has come up has absolutely gone bonkers trying to hide this agreement, all sorts of reasons, all sorts of false pleadings in courts, all sorts of thumbing their noses at FOIA's Freedom of Information Act requests. And the insidious thing about this, as I get more into the details, (laughs) as your jaw drops to the table and your eyes glaze over, the insidious thing about this is that these jabs were developed with government, i.e. your money. The non-disclosure of these supply and manufacturing agreements is being litigated with your money. The jabs were produced with your money, and the jabs were administered with your money. It really doesn't get more insidious than this plan. The agreement, and I really urge you to read it, it defines purchaser as the government of South Africa. There's a section, 5.5, Purchaser Acknowledgement, and it clearly spells out, folks, in black and white, no getting around it, that Pfizer had no idea, it admits it in the agreement, what the jabs might or might not do in the long run, or whether they would even work, and shifts all the responsibility to the South African government and off the backs of the pharma giant. Let me read you that Purchaser Acknowledgement, Section 5.5. Purchaser acknowledges that the vaccine and materials related to the vaccine 
and their components and constituent materials are being rapidly developed due to the emergency circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic and will continue to be studied after listen to that continued to be studied after provisions of the vaccine to purchase under this agreement Purchaser further acknowledges, purchasers the government folks, that the long-term effects and efficacy of the vaccine are not currently known, and there may be adverse effects of the vaccine that are not currently known. Further, to the extent applicable, purchaser acknowledges that the product shall not be serialized. In other words, keep it as untraceable as you can, folks, from lot to lot and vial to vial. So basically, Pfizer is admitting, just this one paragraph, I mean, the whole thing is just hair-raising. Pfizer is admitting it hasn't finished studying the vaccine's components and constituent materials. That's a quote. Okay, so they don't even know what's in the vaccines or what the combination of ingredients they put in the vaccines might eventually constitute form or become. I want you to think about the message, the psyops that was fed you by Scarf Lady and Tricky Tony Fauci, and the NIH, and the CDC, and then mandated illegally, unconstitutionally, and absolutely contrary to the theme of the Declaration of Independence, by a corrupt, uncaring, agenda-driven, money-grubbing government that cares not a whit about your best interests. In fact, listen to my shows on population control, quite the contrary. I think we were told that these vaccines were the most studied vaccines in the world. They were safe and effective. In fact, they were the safest and effective vaccines, quote-unquote vaccines, ever thought of, developed, or devised by man. And by the way, the way this agreement is written, South Africa is agreeing to these terms. Nobody knows what's in the shots. Nobody knows what the long-term effects of the shots are. Nobody even knows what the short-term effects are. And absolutely nobody knows if they're going to work. All this was signed in South Africa months after the agreement was signed in the United States. And you know, if the agreement in the United States is something different, well, let's see it. Show us. You know, it's not even trust but verify. How about distrust and verify? Do you remember anybody at any of the health agencies entrusted with our safety and well-being that we fund with our money? Do you remember them saying anything about unknown long-term effects? About unknown efficacy? about unknown ingredients or mixing resolutions from those ingredients. And in this agreement, the South African agreement, basically the government is agreeing, quote, there may be adverse effects of the vaccine that are not currently known, unquote. This is three months after our medical people and our first responders and much of our military was mandated to be vaccinated, illegally, I might add, again, using your money, our money. So you basically have the pharma folks saying they don't know what's in the jabs. They don't know whether the jabs will work. They don't know what the jabs are going to do. They don't know what the long-term effect is. And by the way, it might even kill you. And the government is agreeing to those terms. In Section 8 of the contract, read it for yourself, indemnification. That's the indemnification provision. And it says basically, I'll boil it down for you, if Pfizer is ever sued by anyone, for any reason whatsoever, because of the shots, then South Africa, oh, what do you want to bet? It's the same here in the United States agreement, must pay for Pfizer's complete defense and then pay any judgment that Pfizer loses. Now, once again, let's go back to this conundrum. So the government 
is going to defend the pharma company they financed and they bought the jabs from, that they paid for the jabs being manufactured for, that they paid to distribute to their population, that they paid their health agencies and bureaucrats to lie about, all using your money. And in the end, they will defend any lawsuit brought against the pharma folks using your money. And if the pharma folks lose the lawsuit, the judgment will be paid using your money. Does this begin to tell you why the CDC is still approving jabs while they're still recommending you get one every year or that moron Sarah, is recommending you get one every two months? Is this why they're slow walking and ignoring the millions of people on the VAERS reporting site, the adverse effect vaccine reporting site? Or why they're slow walking studies of neurological damage, heart damage, circulatory and pulmonary damages? autoimmune damages, just ask Megyn Kelly. It's because they know in the end, this tidal wave of litigation that is coming their way, which I told you would be coming their way two years ago, is going to engulf the pharma companies and therefore engulf the government. And they're trying desperately to cover their tracks and get out of the liability using your money, of course. And these agreements came about, folks, for two reasons. Emergency powers which granted executive authority you know, the Declaration of Independence, which was followed by the Constitution, which is checks and balances. Well, that was thrown out the window quite intentionally. And government secrecy, a lack of transparency. In fact, this agreement calls for the agreement to remain confidential and out of public sight. Huh, I wonder why. And gee, didn't that allow the NIH and the CDC here in the States to agree to about anything, particularly if they're getting royalties and other corrupt, graft, bribe, RICO, racketeering payments. And here's just another thing that came out. I, I read this contract for yourself. Here's another thing that came out. This is just a couple days ago. It was on Fox News. Quote, Biden nicks goal of getting kids back to school post-COVID to avoid a conflict with a teacher's union boss. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah, teacher's president Randy Weingarten. I've told you about her. She's a through and through communist and anti-American traitor. She was vehemently opposed to reopening schools, and the Biden campaign needed money, you know. Did you know that literally the first day in office, well, when he wasn't canceling the Keystone Pipeline, President Cadaver and Jill Biden invited Weingarten and the NEA president, Becky Pringle, another real gem, to the White House. And seven days later, Biden announced his reopening plan. You know, the, what, he, what he promised you on the so-called campaign trail from his basement? Except it didn't reopen anything, folks. If you remember correctly, Biden wanted more than half of the pre-K to eight students to attend one, one, in-person session a week by the end of the first hundred days. Oh, well, yeah, let's reopen the schools. By the way, to juxtapose this, DeSantis down there in Florida, he reopened Florida schools immediately. And by the way, successfully defended and defeated multiple lawsuits by the same teachers union trying to close them down because they care about your kids, folks. In another little piece of startling news, Tucker interviewed a guy who claims to have been Barack Hussein Obama's gay lover. Well, not to say that we're even at all surprised. I might or might not bring you more on this story, but it just tells you a little bit about the depravity of the 44th president of the United States, and by the way, the real president of the United States right now, behind the cadaver foil. 
And you parents out there, you might want to really, really, really watch your teachers closely and raise holy hell immediately if you have to. The libs of TikTok, they reported that the University of Arizona's nursing school is teaching nursing students and teachers to begin questioning kids about their gender identity as early as three years old. Let me repeat that. Three years old. In fact, part of the curriculum, let me give you one quote. Quote, some kids feel like a girl on the inside. Some kids feel like a boy on the inside. And some kids feel like neither, both, or someone else. What about you? How do you feel on the inside? There is no right or wrong answer. Unquote. <laughs> you don't think there's a right or wrong answer? University of Arizona Nursing School? My. It makes you want to really not go into a hospital, doesn't it? That's entitled, by the way, under a piece of curriculum, What to Ask Kids 3 to 13 Years Old. And as our last rat-a-tat-tat, a little bit on immigration, we're going to have a lot more next week. But it seems there's a district judge by the name of John Tigar, T-I-G-A-R, Oakland, California, of course. And he ruled that the so-called policy, which wasn't being enforced anyway by the Biden administration, that imposed conditions on asylum seekers coming across the southern border by the hundreds of thousands of millions, those conditions being that if they transited a non-asylum country, in other words, a country they didn't ask asylum for, then their asylum requests be slowed down. Well, the ACLU, you know, the Communist Liberties Union, sued on that, and this erstwhile judge, ignoring the law, ruled that the policy is unlawful due to the conditions that might be imposed on asylum seekers, also known as illegal aliens. And the argument against this policy, by the way, was that the Biden administration's rules that were being enforced in any event would force migrants to look for protection in countries that don't have the same asylum system. In other words, you don't get your 2200 bucks a month and free lodging and free health care and free cell phones. I might add that there's some evidence of collusion in these lawsuits. In other words, with a wink and a nod, these groups, and the environmental groups are the same, file a lawsuit, which the government knows full well is coming. And then the government pretends to defend against it, all the while trying to kind of throw the game to the environmentalists or the pro-abortion people or the pro-illegal alien folks. It's one big, smelly, graft-ridden ship. Think about Thomas Jefferson's quote at the beginning of this show, remove the corruption. Think about the words in the Declaration of Independence. It is not only our right, but our duty. And think about what you're going to do, knowing full well in that list of who exactly is an enemy of the state might be your fate. Just how much American DNA, folks, do you have? It's time to start showing it. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Thanks for listening. You think about this, folks, and let's stand up together. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week.
please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.